Hey, this is Mike Lindsay from Vital MX. I am here with the CEO of SX Global, Mr. Adam Bailey. Uh, man, Adam, I have talked to you. <laughs> I think I've interviewed you more uh, than pretty much uh, other than riders, you know, from a staff standpoint, get to chat with you a little more uh, than pretty much any promoter, anybody at the, the top level of the sport per se that's running events, um, sometimes for good reasons, sometimes a little rougher reasons. We have a, a few questions today, but um, always appreciate your transparency and uh, opportunity to catch you to ask a few questions. Yeah, no, I appreciate making the time and yeah, I, I, I'd like it to always be for great things that you wanted to chat to us, but, <laughs> but I know that we got a lot of work to do doing that right. But but uh, you know, we're always uh, you know more than happy to to uh, to be transparent and share. And I think that's part of this journey we're on is is you got to bring people along with it. And and uh, I think that's the only way forward. To be honest with you, cool. I guess we'll start <clears throat> pretty much right at the the pointy end of the announcement last week. There was. A week or two of kind of weirdness. Uh, we were kind of waiting to see what happened after there were some rumors that were floating around that you guys had parted ways with um, your prior capital partner, Mambala, um, and that we were kind of wondering and waiting to see what happens. We did get an announcement uh, from you guys last week that you had secured uh, two new funding and investment partners that have come in. Um, Kyrie and Juan both came in. Uh, if anybody wants to check out that announcement more in detail and learn more about those two, I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit. There's also a link below this uh, piece of content. You can check that out. Um, but I guess from the, the direct end, what exactly, you know, what can you say what happened with your guys' prior funding partner and how do we get to where we are right now? Yeah, it's a, it's a long story, and it, it was a very challenging time um, because there's not a lot you can say in those kind of situations. And when it's when it's you know um, commercial incompetence and things, you do have to be very cautious with what you do say. But um, I mean, we we were you know as any startup would um, you know raised capital in the first place with Mabala Capital kind of joining those four of us individual founders at the time, myself. Uh, Ryan Sanderson, Tony Cochran, Tom Potter, and um, and Mabadala Capital, which is out of uh, Abu Dhabi, the sovereign fund out of Abu Dhabi. And so we were kind of the original founding investors, I guess, um, in, in the business. And uh, but but as with any kind of startup, you know, there was always going to need to be another round of funding, and you have to run. You know, oftentimes uh, in a startup kind of business, that happens two or three times. You know, um, before the business itself you know, take shape as the ownership group. Um, but, you know, what ended up happening, you know, as, as everyone knows, the world kind of changed quite a lot from the time that um, from the time that uh, the deal sort of all was put together, you know, at, um, in 2020 until, you know, we actually, sorry, 2021, until we actually kind of um, got underway um, and, and, and started running events the world changed dramatically and um and in particular you know this year you know the world's sent, sort of entered into a global recession or, or nearby and near that all around the world kind of thing so the capital markets and investment markets changed quite dramatically and um and so during that time you know when we needed to raise capital this next time around we we started looking for a strategic partner or the right partner to help take the business forward because it was also quite clear that Mabadala were we were the smallest investment that they'd ever made literally in history. Um, they're they're huge, um, and so um, what we kind of learned was that we needed a a partner that was going to help more strategically. There's someone that could actually work with us to make the the 
the series a success and someone that could add a lot more strategic value. And Mabadala were on board with this plan. So we started looking for a strategic partner and someone that would, you know, potentially add value from a commercial sponsorship experience or broadcast media or PR or even other events and things. You know, someone that could be, you know, um, not just helpful from a capital and cash perspective, but from a strategic perspective. Um, but um, with the world kind of taking, changing the way it was and in a recession, it was a lot harder than we thought. We, it, it turned really difficult. And that's across the board, you know, capital markets across the board, you know, really changed. And Mabadala themselves suffered some pretty major losses. You know, like I said, we were one of the smallest investment or the smallest investment in their history. But they have billions and billions or $243 billion worth of assets tied up, you know, and, and with the world, with the world taking the turn the way it did and with things, you know, um, hitting a recession like they had, you know, it was really tough. And, um, but we still kind of thought throughout the process that they were a backstop and that, that, you know, if we didn't find the right strategic partner, we felt that they, you know, rightly or wrongly, we believed, or I certainly believed that we had a backstop there. Um, and then, you know, really not that long ago, they kind of advised that they, they weren't or they couldn't be that backstop, that, that that actual safety net isn't there. And so you really need to find someone else um, to just based on, you know, and it wasn't that they don't like us or they don't like the opportunity or don't like sport or don't like Supercross. They, they loved it, but they just said the way, you know, um, everything is gone lately, we have we we have to let you go get get it from elsewhere because we've got, you know, other things to, to deal with at this point in time. So that didn't give us a lot of runway. It didn't give us a lot of time. And so, you know, really um, it meant for me particularly and, and um, you know, my COO, Steve, we just really pedal to the metal to then try and find the right partner to to continue the, the business moving forward, um, which we have done and, and we, we've found an incredible um, an incredible group um, of two individuals being Kira Louis-Francis and, and Juan Sartori, who are, you know, incredibly experienced um sports investors but that process and and the process um and it's the first time i've been through it but that process took took far longer than expected i mean months longer than expected i mean i sincerely thought that this transaction and this new investment would be would be done in march or april you know may june at the absolute latest and um and so that pressure started to build of like man if this doesn't get done soon it's going to fall right in the middle of when we're holding events and right in the middle of our our series for this year, and um and that's exactly what happened. It just it just dragged on and on and on and and literally I've never seen anything like it. Lawyers lawyers go back and forth for a month, literally daily for a month, um and all we could do is is wait until um that transaction was finalised before the business could really <coughs> kick back into gear. You just can't make. You can't make commitments. You can't say anything. You can't really do a lot when you're in the in the midst of that kind of thing. Um, and it just it put us in a really awkward awkward spot. And thankfully, deal closed. We've got amazing partners, and that's fantastic for the future. But the timing, you know, is impossible. It, it fell when we would be trying to deliver three events in in five weeks, and and um, there's just no no physical way that we could do that to the standard we wanted to. And so we've been left with no choice but to to um, to make changes like we have. So with the original announcement with Mobile Cup, kind of when you guys announced the series in general, the, the big ticket number was that, hey, we have $50 million in lined up investment here. That was kind of a number a lot of people <clears throat> attached to. However, when you're dealing with a capital group, I imagine it's not 
hey, you didn't get cut a $50 million check and just handed it on day one, even though that's, you know, they see the number, they think that originally you guys had kind of this initial five-year plan, at least the way teams are signed, all that. So I imagine whether it was revenue goals, certain strategic goals, I'm guessing that funding was basically broke down or separated over a certain period of time. Uh, so with that, even though you guys were the smallest investment they had made, uh, regardless with everything that's going on in the market, and then even with where you guys were at with with events, and also like I said, coming out of uh, pandemic, being able to kind of nail the calendar. I know we probably can say like how much, but like it was. I'm guessing it wasn't close to the full amount. Like it isn't like you guys lit fifty million dollars on fire. There's still been good money spent, I imagine, but it isn't that we went through fifty and there was nothing left. It's you never had probably all that in the first place. Yeah, nothing, no one near it. Absolutely, no one near it at all. Um, and and you know the messaging wasn't right. You know, which I've said a few times, but the messaging wasn't right because it, we, it wasn't fifty million dollars. It was a fifty million dollar commitment over the five years that we were making to teams, you know, as part of what we were doing. But there was never a $50 million upfront investment. Um, I sure wish it was and we wouldn't be wouldn't be having this conversation. But um, the reality was it was nothing like that. Um, and um, the, the plan was always going to be that there would have to be an additional fundraise, you know. Um, but, you know, as like I said, as a startup does, you like to do that incrementally in stages and um, the timing just, um, just didn't fall right for that to, to work. Um, the way we would have liked it to, that's for sure. Well, if uh, original, what you guys were kind of mapping out again, five-year plan, certain amount of events per year, when were you originally thinking you guys were maybe going to have to do that second round? That Did this come earlier than expected? Was this something more like, okay, we're getting our feet under us, we'll run events for two, maybe three years, get these teams together, and that's about the time. Like, we, we'll show progress, uh, Some we built something, and then we'll go for the, the next round. Because I feel like Course in Tech, I, I think of, of tech investments, I've compared this to a couple of people have asked me this. I'm like, well, if it's anything like what I've always read about that is, yeah, you show a certain amount of progress, even if the company isn't to a profitable standpoint with the I, if the IP is worth something, if the idea is worth something, if people see future in it, you know, you get it to a certain point and yes, mul- you end up doing multiple rounds as you show some level of progress. That doesn't always have to mean, yeah. I guess everything's in the green per se, but you, uh, you have yeah. to show some progress that you're heading towards that direction or that what you're developing is going to get there. That idea is worth it to continue. So I was, what you guys were originally appearing to be second round. Is this about the time you thought it was going to happen? And it just sucks that, you know, with pandemic, everything you guys haven't run as many events and shown as much progress or was second round investments supposed to be another year or two down the road. Um, We never really had a set date, but I mean, you're hundred percent right. And what you like to do is raise as little as possible and then show as much progress as possible, then raise as little as possible again, you know, so that each time you're raising, it's at a higher valuation. And that's really what, you know, is the, the ultimate goal. So you're giving away less to raise that money, you know. So never really would just say, well, let's just have all the money and sit it in the bank. And so then we can just spend it over the next five years. That wouldn't be because you'd, you'd give away the entire business to do that. Um, it, but it, it did come. It, I was going to say. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to joke. It reminds me for anybody that's watched. <laughs> this is going to sound so stupid to give people maybe an idea. It's like anybody that's watched Shark Tank or Dragon's yeah, Den, totally. you go to somebody, you're basically like, okay, they, even if they're willing, let's say that somebody's willing to give you the 50 million, but they want 80% of your business. Okay. You've basically given away the majority of business. Would you rather take 10 or 20 or something for 20%? Then the next time you go to valuation, you're hoping to maybe get 20 again, 20 million, but you've shown, 
hey, we made this progress. We only have to give away 5% to get that. That's what you mean, right? Like you're, you maybe have a target number, but you're showing enough progress every time you basically, to investors, you're doing a less percentage because of the value of the company or the idea is raised. Yeah, of course. Yeah, for sure. And that 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 really is the way sort of this this the startup kind of world works and um and that is so so that always kind of was the plan. But um look I, I think, you know, did we hit the expectations in the first year? No. Those expectations were very unrealistic. I think I've spoken pretty openly about that. Like I think the the, the growth trajectory that was kind of spoken about was never, you know, what should have been in my personal opinion. You know, I think um, had you had $50 million in the bank, then perhaps, you know, uh, it would be different. But, um, you know, I think that we did make great progress um, with with what we had and with for a brand new team and, and an inexperienced team. And um, I think the reality is we should have been really proud of the progress that we we're making, but some of the claims that were made up front were just too big and too, um, you know, too uh, bullish that, you know, it seemed like a disappointment. But in fact, what we're trying to do is incredibly hard and what we're trying to do is, you know, it should have been to get anything off the ground and to get any teams and get any great riders should have been, you know, something to be um, to be proud of and to be seen as a positive step. But instead we kind of set ourselves up for failure from a just from a perception standpoint. And that's kind of the most frustrating thing for me is because, you know, this stuff was always going to be very, very hard. Um, I've said it quite a few times. There's a reason why it's never been done before. It's because it is so damn hard. Um and so we should have just, I think, been more vocal and more realistic and probably more humble at the start to be like, hey, you know, if we get, you know, two or three events up, that's great. Then we'll try and go to three to four. Then we'll try and get to five to six. And then who knows? You know what I mean? Like just sort of like keep it a bit more like that, keep it a bit more compact at the rear end, rear end of the year. Um, but that wasn't, you know, I wasn't in the leadership position at that time and that wasn't the way it was was projected so we kind of set ourselves up to be in a in a position where instead of everyone kind of rallying behind us and wanting to see us you know go forward you know you set yourself up to be cut down because of of um talking too big a game than, than, than was the reality of what's achievable in that sort of time frame i think well now that you guys have <clears throat> the future series a little bit more insured um what are kind of the next steps or what do you see as the most important thing for you guys over the next year or two because when I was kind of thinking about the situation, whether we're talking about the fans, even the riders and the teams you work for, there is a certain amount of integrity. I would feel like that would be affected by the event cancellations. Um, basically kind of thing when, when the calendar <clears throat> is released next year, I'm sure a lot of people or whenever you guys release a calendar later this year for next year, I'm sure people are going to look and go, Hmm, we'll see. We'll see if, if they, if they hit these targets, these goals, if these events are going to exist. And, that's going to be hard for you guys, no matter what, whatever you put in, there's, you guys are going to have to fight kind of back from that. Um, like I said, that's not just the fans. I would say even the riders are trying to track the teams in that position, trying to attract them. Even they're going to look at it that way. Um, so with the new partners you brought on, is there certain points that you think they're going to help? And like I said, for you personally, what do you think is the most vital thing you have to nail in the next year or two to kind of fix that, that integrity? Yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. I think it's just really stability um, you know, we, we, we bring, you know, fantastic partners. Um, they're well resourced, they're well experienced. But I think the number one thing is just, you know, um, is, is I think by being more conservative in, in our, 
in our approach, um, then it's then I think that we set ourselves up for success and and achieve that what we know we can achieve. That the good the great thing about what's been done this year is that so much work has been done on all of those events that to actually turn them around is quite easy. You know what I mean? Because the hard thing about what we were trying to achieve in that in the point of t- in in the time frame was that so much work had to be done. And um, all of those events are ready, ready to launch and ready to 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 go. But um, unfortunately, you know, I had to make a dis- difficult decision where if you don't have a funding partner, a, you know, and an ownership structure guaranteed, how could I, how could I commit to to these events and send it freight internationally and start to book, you know, millions of dollars of of costs and advertising expenses, et cetera, et cetera, without knowing for certain that you have that partner. Um, and because the risk there is just far too great, you know, to to damage others and and, and reputational risk and all those and, and legal risk to to be able to commit. So what we do is we did all the groundwork to set these events up and have them ready to go and have them ready to go on sale, and some fantastic plans in place and you know literally ready to to launch, and then had to put them on hold and just sit there and just say, you know, I'm really sorry, guys, but we can't. I can't commit to launching. We had fantastic PR opportunities in, in literally all of them. And to say, you know, I just I can't say go ahead because until this pen uh, is on paper, it wouldn't be the right thing to do. So um, the good news is, is so much of that work is done, um, you know, that to, to actually turn those around is, you know, is quite easy. It'll just be about making the... The choices that are the best for the for the series in terms of timing, you know, do we believe those are the best locations? Let's review it one more time. How many events do we definitely want to do? What do our teams actually want to need? What does the industry want to need? And when should we be going? You know, I think you know we we shouldn't have been going as early as we did, which I I kind of vocalised last year, but it wasn't again my my sort of role at the time. But you know, we should be starting later in the year. Um and and um. And so let's just make sure this time around we don't make those mistakes again. Make sure that the season is compact, um, that we have quality events only and not trying to go for a number. We're trying to go for, for quality. And I think that would be the, we'll just review all of that one more time again or more than one more time and make sure that we make the right decisions before we, before we uh, make any announcements. Do you feel like, uh, Kyrie and Juan's prior sports experience, some of the venue experience they have, um, I feel like that's, of course, I mean, we're talking about canceled events. Do you feel like their experience is going to help and their connections help lock in not only good venues, good locations, um, places, like you said, they're quality enough. You can go well. Do you feel like the, they bring anything extra to the table there compared to, you know, some of your prior strategic partners? I do. I think like um, just, I mean, they're just really good international internationally experienced business people. I mean, um, you know, Kirill comes from a, a, a fantastically successful um, family that's, you know, his third generation um, and and um, and he's an incredibly intelligent intelligent young man and, and Juan's completely self-made, you know, success story himself to having built built businesses and and um, to the to the point that he has. Um, and so between them they're just they're very experienced, they're very level you know, and so, you know, already they bring sort of um, like hands-on experience to to help make the right decisions. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, they've also, you know, bought invested in business like the Sunderland Football Club in the UK that, you know, has that they've turned into a success story, you know, and they've done that through hard work and their own sort of grit and determination and, and um, 
you know, so I think they, they they certainly, I wouldn't say there's any one particular point. I think they're very well connected around the world. Um, you know, Juan's a, a senator in Uruguay. I mean, if you're involved in, 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 you know, politics and you're obviously very well connected, that's, you know, um, there's, uh, there's just great experience there. And I think overall, just in business, these guys are, um, and, you know, know their stuff. And I think we'll add a lot of value. It's great to get it's outside sports and other sports look at our sport and be like, you know, have you thought about this, you know? Um, and, uh, and I think that's what's going to help the most with those fresh eyes. Has your perspective changed at all on where, where you guys need to be in the sense of, uh, geographically where what venues you need to go compared to when you started this adventure uh, a couple of years ago like i think of <clears throat> me and Lewis have had this conversation on one of our podcasts about kind of the the competitiveness if you guys go to regions that we've, even if there hasn't been a top level supercross take france germany that run their own at least regional supercross series um places like England that have a lot of other motorsports, particularly they have MXGP races. If you were to try to come to the U S things of that nature versus maybe like your Singapore, your Abu Dhabi, your Melbourne, where you guys are really setting a trend in a way like bringing supercross. There is almost, it, it almost feels like before the event begins, it's already almost a win because you guys have accomplished and brought something very new to the table where some of the venues you're kind of already, there's a lot of eyes on you like, Oh, can they do this? better than what else has been tried here um has that changed at all on like i said your perspective on kind of where you guys need to be the next couple years venue wise has has any of that changed um it's a good question i think it's a i think there's a there's a balance and i know it's it's a it's a cop out but there is a balance because you know australia has a good domestic championship um which means that there's a good level of you know, knowledge of the sport that people know who Ken Roxon is and and they know who Max Anstey is, they know who Dean Wilson is, and so they're excited to see them. And so that compared to going to an entirely new market and trying to educate them who don't even know what Supercross is at all, in you know, the far end of the spectrum in Abu Dhabi, for example, you know, um, that's going to a region where they see, you know, the, they see potential in what this sport can be, but there's not, you know, the, there is local motocross there, but it's obviously very small. So, um, you know, I think... Uh, I think our Cardiff event proved, you know, that by going somewhere where there's a good understanding of the sport and, and existing racing is, is a positive. Um, but in saying that, to your point, you've got to, we've got to be careful and be aware of where we're going to go, that we have a point of difference. What And what is the offering? What are we taking to the fans? You know, um, it has to be something um, you know, that stands out from what they've seen before. And 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 um and also like our motivation really is to support what happens in these regions. You know, like we um we had quite a lot of discussions with and, and were quite close to the promoters of the Dortmund Supercross in Germany and working with them, you know, for this event. So that um, you know, and the same with obviously here in Australia, you know, we we're wanting to to work with the domestic racing and, and we were planning to do the same in Canada. So that the the point is rather than going in and trying to sort of go in there and and um take away from those things is to be going in there to try and build on those things and um and hopefully then the community there gets around you as opposed to kind of, you know, being standoffish. So I think that what we'd be looking, you know, to answer your question really is to go to as many regions as we can where we know the fans are and the fans want us, but then also do that in a way that's cognizant of what they have existing and trying to build on that. Um, and that would be, that would be the number one thing. If we can, if we can tick those boxes then that would be a successful outcome. So with the latest round cancellations, which I believe are 
Germany, Singapore, and Canada. Um, short answer, I believe the, the cancellation reasons for those three we, we covered were more at the point of you guys were making the transition. They're a little bit different than the, the France situation. Um, that leaves us with, for this year, Melbourne and Abu Dhabi. Or, sorry, in correct order, it's Abu Dhabi, then Melbourne. Um, I feel like even with all the rumors swirling, we were pretty sure like those events were locked in. They were good to go. It was it was kind of the speculation and waiting to see what happened with the the three upcoming ones, which have now been officially canceled. Um, I'm sure some people look at it as like, okay, they've got a new investment. Why why aren't we running these races? I'm sure one of them is we're too close to the start dates to to really actively do it now. Um, you know, I talk to a lot of teams and riders in your guys' series. I hear things such as. There were talks of doing Melbourne or Abu Dhabi doubleheaders. I know that was thrown around for the Australian round last year, but then teams told me that there were discussions about even like contractually for them, what payments look like, and there were disagreements, and it just it, it never because there was a possibility of a doubleheader last year didn't happen. I've heard that this year, based on the way you guys are talking, it doesn't sound like we're going to go that route. Um, it sounds more like the quality side of the event. Let's just we, we only have two left on the calendar. Let's actually do them right rather than just try to get a bunch of events done again. Is that kind of what is like, okay, let's, let's just actually try to get these done right and not worry about how many we do. Yeah, absolutely. I think like the, the, the double header discussion in um, like Abu Dhabi, you know, was one that was sort of open to having and it, it, um, it uh, but, and it gets mixed reviews, you know, some teams are all for it cause they want more racing and it's obviously more TV broadcast time and that's great. Others are dead against it, you know, because it adds cost or, or, or what have you. So, there's not a one size sort of fits all one with that. But for us, you know, number one thing is like, you know, and this is just across the board and that, you know, to, to go back a step, you know, the reason why we're not running the next three events is just we couldn't do it well enough. Like could we have run events for sure? Like you could find a way to do it and you could, you know, go on sale in Germany and we would have had five weeks, to, you know, to sell tickets and, you know, maybe it would have been okay, but you need, you actually need months to sell tickets and do that properly. And you actually need months to organize these things. And not, not, not the, like it was organized, but you've still got to pull it together. You've still got to actually execute and to, to be rushing and doing all of that. The risk was that we would just damage the brand and for all of us. And we would just end up running substandard events with, you know, small crowds and, you know, and that is just a far greater risk for us than the reputational damage that we're going through now of having the cancellation. And that was the way up. It's like we, and, and, um, Carol and Juan and I discussed this together, you know, do we go this route, which is, um, let's just go full steam. And to be honest, I seesawed a couple of times. Let's just go full steam ahead. Uh, you know, our reputation is everything. If we cancel these events, like it's going to look so bad. Let's just go for it. It's going to, you know, do the best we can. The broadcast will still look good, you know what I mean, and, and and we'll get. Let's just get through it and do it. But then the other side, it's like, yeah, but you know, why would you want to do that and do it at a substandard quality or risk being a substandard quality at this early stage in our in our um in our life? Why don't why let's just relax. We actually need to plan better for the future anyway and we need to together sit down and talk about what the future looks like and how we're going to do this properly. What's our What's our, you know, USP? What, are, you know, what team do we need around us? What are we going to actually? What does the industry actually want to see? How do we actually onboard the industry more and and um and bring the fans on the journey with us? And what's the best way forward? And and that was really to just to, you know, take the hit now, take a breather, 
do a great job of the next two events and start planning for next year in a in a far more organized and controlled manner because I, I felt i feel like we've you know in hindsight we we should have done a lot less in the first place from the start you know we tried to squeeze too much in tried to do too much too quickly you know talked too big a game about how quickly we're going to do those things and the reality is it, it the world is was in a challenging place and it was never going to be that easy we shouldn't we should just you know take it a bit slower and so um that was a decision let's just take the hit now it's going to suck um but hopefully people see that it's the right thing for now and we'll be more organized for next year rather than just scrambling our way through this year and then being behind the eight ball again for next year you know i would say i would imagine i when i was thinking about this year day once you guys announced or it sounded like it before even the announcement came across when it sounded like you guys had secured um new partners first thing ran through my head was okay are the rounds this year that we're canceled going to get done i was like man that's i just know it's a lot of resources especially if you did last minute it's more of a 24 7 everybody all hands on deck and that just takes away you know people time uh resources cash like the like said the rounds maybe they would have been fine maybe they would have been bigger loss you know maybe they would have lost money um that takes away from resources you could be putting towards next year and would you rather half asset this year and half as half asset next year and continue like you said to damage the reputation or do you take the lumps on the chin right now and go forward and pretty much kind of in the sense prove everybody wrong the the following year by putting up the product that you guys feel like you initially promised people and i think that was a big one that would help um the integrity portion we we spoke about earlier was just if basically if you guys hit your marks the following year, that will prove a lot to people because that's what most people are basically weighing right now. Like, okay, all this I've read, all this I've heard, I've never quite seen what I was told would, would happen. Totally. Yeah, and that's exactly right. I think that's number one. That that that's completely it. We we be risk half assing this year and next year and potentially burning a bunch of money that could be invested in smarter ways as well. Um, rather than just like you said, take it on the chin and and to be honest, like it really sucks and it's really disappointing and it's, you know, I mean, it's embarrassing. It's all those things. Like, you know, I mean, in my position, it's, 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 it's awful. And, but the last six months has been awful thinking that it might get to this, you know what I mean? So for me, in a way, it's kind of like, um, it's like a band aid now to just rip it off and just be like, okay, this sucks. But we can get through this. You know, we've got great people around us now. Let's just, um, you know, do this properly moving forward, whatever we do, let's just do it properly. <laughs> I think that's the the number one thing. And then we'll, learn, and we hope to earn that, earn that trust back, you know, and, and, um, and that'll, that'll just take time, which, which we understand as well. How is it for you dealing with um, your other strategic partners at this point, the teams and even further through them, the riders, and even once it's just Kenny, that's, that's contracted the series. So um, I think of the team's positions, depending on how the teams have structured their deals with riders or even structured, I would say their deals in general, because I've talked to a couple of these, the teams that are participating. Some that are, depending on the level of regional racing they do, it's just kind of like, okay, it was sort of on pause. We've just kind of switched some of our resources back to maybe what else we have to work on at the time, or they've, they've just kind of changed that plan. But regardless, some of them have riders that are kind of sitting around or maybe some extra staff. So even at the the lowest level of impact, some of these teams are like, well, we've either spent money or we've made promises to hire people or do this or that, and we're not doing enough rounds or we're not getting our sponsorship money because we're not doing rounds, whatever they've been affected. And at the larger end, uh, a couple of teams that are really just WSX only at this point, same thing, depending on the structured deals that they paid guys for a whole year, 
based on a certain amount of rounds they're out. If it's round around, it's a little bit better, but either way, um, those guys are taking pretty good lumps on the chin as well, trying to kind of figure out what they're doing. They got to figure out how they're going to message that to riders, um, trying to build sponsorship. Um, originally you guys did like the seed funding with them. It sort of tapered off each year. Cause the goal was to get, you know, these guys up on this platform. Um, they would kind of work their relationships and grow their sponsorship. Um, but for them, I don't want to say it's, it's not reset from zero, but it's a big step back from them. Um, have you guys looked at, you know, how you support them through that? Has there been a renegotiation process or thoughts on, you know, trying to help kind of make them whole in that situation? Yeah, it's a tough one because I think there is no one size fits all again because all the teams are in very different positions. And, and um, you know, I think particularly when it comes to rider salaries and things and, and there's different structures as you, as you alluded to that, you know, and so there isn't, there isn't any, any particular uh, way, but I mean, um, we have, you know, provided a lot of a lot of um, financial support. You know, over six hundred thousand dollars to date, and, and we've only we've had three races. You know, so it's a lot of money. Um, and and um, whilst we know for a full year of racing, that's it's you know it's not enough money. It's still a lot of money for three races and, and to date. And so and there's more to come, obviously, with the races that you know that we're doing. So, you know, we're hoping that the the support provided to teams is is sufficient you know um and um and that's what we're we're hoping that that they've been wise with have looked after their money and obviously we we uh we also cover the the um the freight costs as well so and we'll look to help in any way possible with regards to their travel and you know any of the things to help them get refunds and be reimbursed for all that kind of stuff we'll we'll certainly work hand in hand with them to to help because i mean as you said i mean that's probably one of the worst parts about about this you know for us and and for me is is to let those guys down particularly because they're the lifeblood of what we do you know that the teams the riders that is our our um they're the they're everything to us and and um and showing support to them was the reason why we did what we did right like the the reason why we went out with the model that we did and etc is to show the most support for them um, and to give them support to help them grow and be successfully uh, successful commercial entities and, on their own. So the last thing we wanted to do is set them up for a negative, you know, outcome. So yeah, we'll work with them all individually on how we how we help as much as humanly possible there. But um, but uh, but yeah, it will be individual to each of them, I'm sure. Um, so what what do you think we see the rest of the year? Uh, we'll have the two events as we mentioned prior, Abu Dhabi and Melbourne. Um, what do we look at? Like maybe the timeline is for the future um, announcement for next year's schedule. Um, what are some things that we will see out of the series? Cause now we, we do have a bit of what do we have? We have about two months until the next race. Um, is there anything that fans should be expecting um, up before that or any information? I think just to what we said before that these last two events will we'll be putting our heart and soul into making sure that they're, they kick ass and, and that's the way they need to be. And so that everyone who's there has the best possible experience. And, um, and, uh, that's our number one priority, um, uh, you know, to reward those that have supported us and to make sure that they have an incredible time. That's number one. Um, number two is, is, you know, working on next year and the learnings and these, these are all happening in real time conversations about events for next year have been happening all year. Um, anyway, but how do we, you know, make sure again that we're making the right decisions for next year and we're spending this time wisely to plan and get ahead of the curve 
how do we, you know, invest this time to listen to fans, listen to industry, listen to teams, you know, what what uh, the manufacturers want to see from us, you know, rather than us just going out and saying, well, this is what we're doing, like it or lump it. It's kind of like, well, you know, how do we actually engage better, do a better job of actually, you know, I guess filling the void that we're that we're wanting to fill, which is to take Supercross around the world and do a great job of showcasing it around the world. You know, let's make sure we're staying true to that mantra and doing it at the at the highest possible quality, not just doing it for the sake of getting a, a number, you know, or a number of events out or, you know, um, and I'm not saying that was really ever the intention, but you know, let's just focus on the right things, I think, and focus on the on the quality of everything we're doing and and um and kind of um focus on delivery rather than rather than kind of talk i guess speaking about delivery when you look back at the last couple of years um delivery of of message um you've kind of shared here some of the things um that you personally feel like um were maybe you know over expand upon or maybe over promised under delivered in a way or just not worded the way you want to when you look back at that personally other than what we've already talked about is there anything else you personally almost kind of want to put out there as a message like yep this like I, I don't like the way this was said. Like I, I, this is my plan or our current plan going forward. It is maybe different than what we said before, but this wasn't maybe said the best in the past. Yeah, I think. I mean, overall, you know, we didn't. The message wasn't, and I, I, it wasn't received the way I I expected it to be. And and when I look back now, I go, I can, I get it. You know, and the reality of it was what what we set out to do. Is take what is an incredible sport around the world to places that that there isn't currently a championship that links it together, you know, and to create a, a world championship that goes around the world, and to to build on what's out there already because and pay homage to racing in the US because you know I for one am the biggest fan of of the AMA racing that there ever was. I watch, uh, you know, I subscribe myself and I watch it every week. You know, this isn't this was never to you know, set up to be an attack on what's out there because, in fact, we're the biggest fans and it is the the best thing for us is that the racing as we know it today, particularly in the US, is the best series in the world and that's um, they build superstars out of riders like Ken Roxon. So um, for us, it's kind of like the message was, you know, it was um, it wasn't communicated correctly and some was lost in translation of, of us saying, you know, what we should have made more clear is, is our respect for that and how what we're trying to do is showcase it to fans around the world that don't get that opportunity. And I think, I think the selection of dates and the, some of the calendar things that were the decisions that were made kind of removed that message and, and um, is what muddied the water there when, um, when I think that, that looking back was probably one of the biggest mistakes is, is, um, you know, thinking that we had to go at that time of year because, because that's when venues were available in the UK and France. They were available in July. Um, but maybe we just shouldn't have gone to the UK and France because if July is all we had, that's not the right time to do it. You yep. know what I mean? Um, and that's really what it came down to. So um, it wasn't that there was a, this deliberate attack on racing in the US and that's why we chose those those dates. It was literally that there was no other dates. Um, we thought that we needed to race in those regions and, you know, um, Tony before, before me kind of made those decisions. But... You know, now I would say, well, you know, we can we only want to race in, in that latter part. We want to race around, you know, September to November. What locations can we get to where there's a fan base for Supercross and how do we deliver the best property and the best um, events possible to fans in those regions as opposed to thinking well, we need to get to the UK and we need to go to France. 
they've only got July, so let's just go with it, you know. I think yeah. that's kind of like a bit of a knee-jerk reaction that happened there that I, that I think is what spoiled that message. I think a couple of things, you know, always people have wondered in what, okay, you know, if they operated technically in what we would normally call off-season for, whether we're talking about Supercross, Promotocross, basically U.S. racing or MXGP racing. Yeah, I don't think at the end of the day that operating there is just going to magically make all the biggest names come. We've, we've realized contract-wise it's just not going to happen for some people. Um, however, it does open more doors not directly having to compete against events, I think, for the teams themselves. Um, I imagine I've talked to a lot of them about the, the shorter window. Basically, they're like, yeah, for depending on how their funding is built, what they have incoming from sponsors, or like, you know, we can go really hard at WSX for a short amount of time and put more resources into it if, if that schedule is more condensed and we can have our guys practicing all the time where like I know a few of the teams are kind of struggled with that with this long gap that mm. opened up even before it would have been as long of a gap it is one out I know a few of them were struggling even after with the France like okay how long do we park the guys because we're not just going to have them ride mm-hmm. supercross <laughs> it's funny how many guys I've talked to are like man riding supercross during the summer in the US sucks because nobody's ever really had to do that before everybody keeps telling me how miserable just trying to ride supercross in july and in, in uh, florida but all of them kind of reevaluating like man if it was it was tighter i think they would sp- they could do a better job for you guys they could spend less money technically because it's over a shorter period of time to have resources dedicated to it um potential to get uh more athletes in there maybe potential to even men's and bridges from your perspective, I, I think you've been very, very humble um, in this approach again, since you've taken over the the leadership role here, um, hearing all those things, like looking at the schedule going forward, do you foresee your guys self for the next couple of years, not competing and trying to kind of mend those relationships? And do you think the opportunity is there? I, I think it's definitely there with, with riders and teams to, to uh, a certain percentage, but even with the series themselves, speaking strictly of like in front felt and MX sports, do you feel like there's maybe an opportunity for you to, to mend the bridges? I hope so. I mean, I hope so. I mean, and, and we did have a call with, um, with Dave Prater at the early stages about this and, and, and told him that we had no, you know, no desire to sort of damage anything it was doing. We were very open about that at the start, but regardless, like I said before, the choice of the calendar still, made it seem aggressive which 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 is why it was a mistake you know um regardless of what we said i I guess um and i was surprised because i thought that we're really clear and really genuine to say hey like we're huge fans what you do we don't want to have any you know um we're not trying to have any beef kind of there but then the calendar really didn't kind of support that messaging i guess so yeah to your point i think we you know we should there's so many reasons why we should be in the later part of the year anyway to be short and condensed exactly to your point clear airspace you know in terms of media in terms of you know even broadcast attention all those things like we can get to a point of the year that we can we can sort of you know potentially own that space a little bit you know hopefully mend some bridges like i think um I've, I've, you know i feel like i've spent almost my entire um time in the ceo role kind of apologizing <laughs> Mm-hmm. And um and trying to sort of you know mend some of those you know initial conversations, but I'm happy to you know I'll we'll keep doing it and we'll have to keep doing it and and so you know that's just part of the job because I think we need that support. You want the fans on board with you. You want the in- you need the industry on board. Like 
you know, not everyone's going to be helpful and not everyone's going to throw money at you or actually want to help, but you certainly don't want them pushing the other way. If they're in our industry, you know, we want them to at least be kind of like open-minded to see what we do, give us a chance, you know, be supportive of the fact that there could be more international races, more um, revenue earning opportunities, you know, more opportunity for teams and, and more opportunity for fans and see that as a as a positive. And I think if we can just get that messaging right, so that people see that see that for what it is and see us for what we are, which is, you know, fans of the sports sport wanting to take it around the world and improve upon what's there and share that with the world, share that love for it with with other parts of the world. That's 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 what success looks like, as opposed to like seeing us as a as combat as a combatant, which is the last thing the last thing we we want. Uh, one of as we wind this down, one of the things I was curious about is where you feel like the the workforce energy is for you right now or even um, planning for for next year, like what what's important? We kind of covered it earlier that, okay, quality events, getting them done, pretty much being able to put out a schedule, nail it, and then nail the events is, is by far, it feels like the most important thing. Um, where it felt like, you know, in prior, prior two years, um, it, it, this year and last year, it felt like a lot of conversation was also about who who's racing. Um, you guys do have Kenny Lockdown, um, the teams have their set rosters. Um, like I said, it seemed like more before there was conversations about who can we, who can be over here racing. Um, I'm sure like, again, the way you partnered with um, PMG um, and got Kenny in there for some of the teams that is a lot controversial still. I know a few of them I talked to still the situation rubs them kind of weird. Um, but we've also talked about it, me and you, that they're also open to propose ideas similar if they have a business case, uh, a situation where it makes sense. So kind of getting back to as you're sitting here right now trying to devy out your time of, you know, getting these events, getting them quality, you get those emails across from some teams like, hey, what about this opportunity, this rider? I don't want to say like you look and go, ah, I don't have time for this right now. But do you look and go, man, we again, the energy like these are worth looking at. But do you still also feel like, ah, like maybe the the rider's name will wait maybe a year or two to figure out that like we really have to focus on the events or do you guys feel like you have the the time and energy my space to still also really heavily focus on getting um bigger names into the series i think i mean i think it's the most it's the most important thing um i think and and like i really do because that's what the fans want to see like first and foremost the fans want to see the best rider so i think it's the most important aspect and then but there's a number of things that need to happen for that to happen you know, the teams have to be able to afford them, A, or be motivated enough to get them, which maybe that's why we look at it is to incentivize teams for performance, you know, um, and maybe that helps. The time of the year, I think, definitely helps, as, as you know, we mentioned before. I think by by being at a time of year where, the, where um, it may be easier for riders to be able to get clearance to, to be allowed to race, you know, is helpful and that helps deliver on the product promise that we're trying to do. So that, you know, so much of it comes hand in hand with making some of those decisions that they've then allow teams access to get better riders, allow the fans to see the better show because the riders can participate. And so there's kind of those those main core objectives really get kind of ticked with by making a few of those fundamental changes, I think, you know. So I think it's not they're not exclusive, you know. Um it, by making those certain changes it'll it'll help attract the better riders, I believe. And, you know, it'll help us um continue to lift the lift the quality of what we're doing. Uh, in closing, kind of looking at your your situation going forward to to the fans, to the riders, anybody that is a fan of Supercross and potentially a fan of of World Supercross, is there anything um, 
like I said, you kind of almost feel like uh, sharing about the situation, the road you guys have gone through recently, or do you think we about covered it all? I think like, I mean, I, I would say, you know, I'm super grateful that there is so much support. Like, and I know there's, there's always going to be haters. Um, and I kind of welcome that too, in a way, because I feel like if no one was saying anything, that would be worse. You know, if no one was saying anything or bothering, then that would be, a, that would be even more of a problem. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so as much as like, you know what I mean? Like, you, you know, you'd love to think that everyone can support you and, and believe the journey that we're on and want to come on that with us. That, that's that's not human nature. Um, so I would just say that, you know, the number one thing that I hope that fans will see is that the intentions here are right, the, the reasons for why we're doing this. You know, I grew up racing dirt bikes like you did. I'm in this. This is the role I found myself in the industry by growing up as a dirt bike commentator termed, you know, writer, manager termed, sponsorship guy termed, advertising sales guy in a magazine turned truck driver and, again, track builder to every job that's humanly possible in this sport. I've done it and I've found myself in this particular job and this particular role, which is a huge privilege. But... I'm just a fan like those guys that just feel like the sport deserves and can be bigger and can go around the world and that there's an opportunity there. So I'm just, and I'm just stubborn and stupid enough to, to continue at it. <laughs> so I think like, it's kind of like, I just want, you know, the fans to see that this is coming from the right place. We want this thing to be a great success, you know, and we want their support and we, we hope that they'll, they'll see that and, and come on board um, eventually. No, dirt bike riders aren't stubborn at all. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, we make great. Well, I think we you make- know, right? If you're a dirt bike rider or you've raced motocross, chances are you've broken a ton of bones, which I have. And then you know how to come back from those things and you know how to deal with setbacks. And I think, frankly, being a motocross rider makes you so damn resilient because you have no other option that when business issues in business and things like that happen, you know what I mean? It's a little bit easier to take because of the kind of shit that you've been through in the, in the lead up to that point. So I think Supercross is the best possible teacher for business and life, um, of anything because it just teaches, teaches you resilience. And, um, you know, I'm needing to use every single, every single bit of that, you know, right now, um, use that experience to, to try and do what we're doing. But, um, but I think it's worth it. You know, it's, it's, it's hard and anything worth doing is, is hard. So, um, so I think it's worth it. I think it's a great piece. I always joke, Moto Moto is something that teaches you how to get your teeth kicked in every freaking week. Get back up and do it. I, I personally went through okay. uh, the end of the team. Like I pretty much, I, I was explaining to a friend the other day everything that happened to me over a course of a year. And it, when you actually lay it all on paper, it was pretty much like my entire life fell apart. And he looks and he goes, you good? I'm like, yeah, I mean, I've been through worse, I think. They're like, no, you, your life is was basically in shambles. I'm like, Okay. Completely. Yeah. I, mean, yeah, I mean, I'm the same. It <laughs> fits in with everything been, else. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And this has been a complete shambles. I mean, I moved my family up, you know, up to up to Queensland, out of Victoria, you know, interstate a couple of years ago for this, and you know, had a had a have a, a, a three and a half year old daughter, and so with all that, there's this, this, you know, life just gets exploded and turned upside down, and business has been the same way. So it's just kind of like, you know, just like everyone, just fighting tooth and nail to to uh to make it happen and you know like i said just uh, i learned that resilience through uh through motocross <laughs> there's no question oh well thank you very much for your time sir and the uh latest updates on everything that's going on with world supercross thank you i appreciate you taking the time